Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Intersect. Intersect is a podcast that is dedicated to the celebration and the promotion of the intersection of God, the world, and the church. My name is Matt Skolnick, and I am your host. I am also what is called a general presbyter, which means I work with 70 Reformed or Presbyterian churches across eastern Ohio. It is absolutely my passion to help the church move forward into this new era. It is also my passion to help the church get the leadership that it needs and to equip the church to engage the world with love and with grace and with passion. We have an exciting series of episodes that will unfold in the next handful of weeks, and they all have to do with goals. Goals in the church and goals that I would describe as God-sized goals and Jesus-oriented goals. Goals that are big and that goals, goals that are focused on the care, the love of Christ, goals that are focused on sharing the gospel in action and in word in word and in action. So that's what we're, we're going to be doing today. Um, we were just going to look at two contrasting views of goals. Um, some churches that focus on goals, God-sized goals and Jesus-oriented goals and work towards them, and churches that go through the cycle year after year, month after month, season after season. One of the things that we are learning right now is that we used to have the ability just to repeat that ministry cycle. Oh my goodness, it's Lent. So what are we going to do for Lent? Oh my goodness, it is Advent time or Pentecost time. And we add or we think about our ministry in terms of those cycles. And there's nothing wrong with those cycles. But um, just as I have argued in the past that worship is essential but not enough, I'm going to argue that those cycles, while they are important, while they nurture us, just going through the cycles of ministry is not enough um, for us to move the church forward. Another way to say that is we are in, and you're gonna hear me say this and have heard me say this in the past, we are in the beginning stages of an amazing reformation. And that reformation is gonna set the stage for ministry across the world for the next several hundred years. It is a phenomenal time to be alive. It is a phenomenal time and an honor. It's humbling to know that God has given us this time. God has given us this opportunity um, to serve, um, to share the gospel um, as the church, the traditional church, the institutional church in the Western world is crumbling. So let me just identify the three um, podcasts that are going to be coming or the episodes that are going to be coming. Number one, today we're going to look at those two contrasting views of goals. Um, the, the next episode, I'm going to outline how and why we avoid goals. And then in the third episode in the series or in the trilogy, we're going to unfold what are going to be some ways that we have the ability to, um, to live into those goals, to to outline them, to list them, to take steps within them. So those are the three main things that we're going to be working with. Um, you just saw a gentleman behind me. He was very happy and wanted to be on camera. Um, that's wonderful. I will just say that I choose to record these in public because 
again, we are trying to bring the church to a point that sees and recognizes that God is in the world, that God is active in the world, and we cannot hide in our little enclaves. We cannot hide in our church buildings. With that being said, let's open with a word of prayer, and we will get this thing started. O merciful and gracious God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your beauty. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your spirit. We thank you that we have the ability to commune, to be united in who you are, whether we um, are listening to this in the moment that it is recorded, whether we are listening to it in weeks or months or years to come, or whether we are near geographically or far apart. We thank you that you are the great unifier, the great redeemer, the great savior. And so, Lord, we ask that as we work through this difficult topic, the topic that is going to offend many of us, so that you would not only calm our hearts and our fears, but that you would open us to be invited into your gospel in new and in fresh ways. In the name of Christ Jesus, we give thanks. Amen. Okay, so now that we are starting and we're, we're going to look at those God-sized and those Jesus-oriented goals, it's really important to note that for a lot of people, a lot of leaders, and I'm going to even be as bold as to say a lot of pastors, we have objections to setting goals in the church. Sometimes these are direct objections. Sometimes the objections are implied or inferred. Let me just give you a handful of sentiments that people have portrayed or I have experienced in the past 15 years of ministry as I have tried to be faithful. So. One thing that I have heard pastors say specifically is that goals aren't spiritual. And kind of the corollary to that is that goals are too worldly, meaning that we work in this realm of God. We work in this realm of the eternal and there's something diminished about goals. I think this, um, could not be farther from the truth. And then it follows from there that some have even argued that goals are egotistical. So when we talk about goals being worldly or when people think about goals being egotistical, they often think of, you know, big, bad business leaders who set goals, who beat people up over those goals, who um, don't really care what they have to go through, who they have to knock down to accomplish those goals. We understand that, but to hold that up is really um, just a straw man. To hold that up is really a farce. It is a red herring in a sense that um, there's absolutely no way that there aren't such things as healthy goals. The other way to say that is there is such a thing as healthy, holy, and righteous goals. And as church leaders, we need to learn to embrace those goals. And so the best thing to do is really to compare what um, Jesus did 
how Jesus functioned, identify a handful of his goals, and then take some of those arguments, take the argument that it's too worldly, take the argument that it is egotistical, take the argument that it is not spiritual, and see if we can hold that argument up to Jesus. So I'm thinking of at least two goals that I see in scripture that Jesus names, that the scripture names and that Jesus works towards. Right now we are in the season of Lent. And of course in Lent, we are preparing for Holy Week. We are preparing for Easter, from, for Monday, Thursday, for Good Friday, all those types of things. And so, as I have been reading the scriptures, one of the places that I have referred to in the past handful of weeks is really been digging into the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke, there is this beautiful sentiment that starts early on, if I'm not mistaken, I think it starts in chapter 9, where the scripture says that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And in fact, as Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, there is the follow-up story that some people, um, people who were not Jewish, who were not fully Jewish, rejected Jesus in their town because of this. So um, it's hard to look at the gospel and say that Jesus' goal wasn't Jerusalem, that his goal wasn't the cross, that his goal wasn't to be handed over as the Son of Man, to be judged, to be killed, um, and so forth. So. When we think about that flow that is in the scriptures, is Jesus' goal spiritual? I'm going to argue, yes. Is Jesus' goal too worldly? No way. Is Jesus' goal egotistical? No, it is sacrificial. This is just one of the goals that was named or that we can see in the scriptures. Let me just give you another one. I do a lot of teaching on Mark chapter 1. I love Mark chapter 1. And the reason that I love Mark chapter 1 is because it is such a concise version of the ministries of Jesus. Jesus proclaims the kingdom. Jesus heals. He calls his disciples and so forth. But at the end of Mark chapter 1, when Jesus has a little bit of time, he goes off early in the morning to pray and the disciples come and they look for him and they're saying, you know what, Jesus, come back to Capernaum. Come back to Peter's hometown. Come back to our home base and please preach some more, heal some more. And Jesus states a goal. His goal is no, <laughs> his response is no, and his goal is we are to go to other neighboring towns because I am to proclaim the kingdom there also. And Jesus goes out and proclaims the kingdom in other towns, and he does it in such a way that he continues to heal. To continue to call disciples, to continue um, eventually actually to send them. So again, here's another goal. Jesus says, no, we're not going to stay in Capernaum. We're going to move forward. And as we move forward, is this spiritual? I'm going to argue again. Yes, this is highly spiritual. Is it too worldly? No. Jesus is turning the world upside down with the proclamation that God's kingdom is here, that is full of healing and wholeness. And he demonstrates that. Is it egotistical? Again, is it egotistical for Jesus to heal people, to welcome them, to invite them into the kingdom? Of course, the answer is no, no, and no. So these common arguments that goals are too worldly, that they're based in being egotistical, that they aren't spiritual enough, they're really just fallacies. And so we have to be able to wrestle with that. And I understand, and this is why we're going to have the second um, episode, I understand that 
it is scary at times to name goals. It is scary to be specific about God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals because we know that when we start naming them, then we actually have to try to do them. And it's so much easier to go through the cycles. It is so much easier to go from one season in the church calendar to the next season in the church calendar and to be what I call creatures of the temple. But we are not called to be creatures of the temple. We are called to be God's hands and feet in the world. At times that means we are in the church, but the vast majority of our time, if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to be out in the world. Okay, so now let me just share two contrasting views of goal setting in the church. There are two churches that are not far from me. They're both about the same size in terms of their building. They're both historic. One has a gorgeous, um, a gorgeous building that has been well-maintained. Another one um, has a great building that has not had as much love and care. The building that has been well-maintained has an amazing music ministry. And when I, what I mean by that is when you go to worship, the caliber of music is really professional. It is top-notch. When you go to the other congregation, it's not nearly as good. So let's just stop and pause and ask ourselves the question, if you had a choice with this information right now, which of those congregations would you choose to serve, to support, to want to advance? My guess is that the vast majority of us would want to be part of a church that has a beautiful building, that would want to be part of a church that um, has wonderful music. Now, let's just turn the page on history a little bit and talk about these two churches from a different perspective. And that's the perspective of setting God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals. So church one with the big building with the amazing music. From all outward appearances is great. And I'm going to tell you, I love the people who are there. They are good-hearted people. They are faithful people in many ways. However, let's look at the church with the building that is falling apart. About three years ago, that church, the second church, with the building that is not nearly as nice and doesn't have the wonderful music program, that particular church received a new pastor. And that pastor's goal as he went um, or he was sent to determine if it was time to close that church or not. It was a big building. It was a downtown church. It had a lot of overhead and the vitality of the ministry was not um, stellar. In fact, like many congregations, you would say that it was dying. So again, we asked the question, <laughs> which church would you want to be a part of? And I think the honest answer is we want the one that that seems nice, the one that has a nice big building and the one that, that has some amazing music. Okay, well, when that pastor showed up, that pastor in this dying church created and named and stated God-sized goals and Jesus-oriented goals. 
And the first thing that this pastor did was take his leaders over to a neighboring um, community, not far away. And in fact, if you look and if you listen to the story of these churches, these two churches are two of three anchor institutions to that neighborhood. Um, the other one is a local high school. With that being said, that local neighborhood is crime ridden. That local neighborhood has every type of um, abuse that you can imagine, every type of heartbreak that you can imagine. The poverty levels are through the roof. The drug, drug rates are through the roof. Um, there's a lot of problems in that neighborhood. And so this pastor at that second church, the church that was apparently dying, took his leaders to this community, walked through, prayed through, knocked on doors, got to know people. And before you know it, he started to build relationships. And before we knew it, um, there was a vitality to the ministry that had God-sized goals and Jesus-oriented goals. Let me just mention one of those goals to you. As they got to know the neighborhood, they realized that there was a local building that was known for human trafficking, for sex trafficking. One of the things that this congregation did was go into that building, meet the people, try to find safe places for the women to go. They bought that building, they knocked it down. That was one of the first things that they did. This is a God-sized and a Jesus-oriented goal. It is so much different than saying, wow, we have a great building and we have great music. Do you see the difference between an institutional church and a church that is invested in people, invested in ministry, invested in the healing of the gospel in their community? But the story doesn't end there. As they continue, that church opened what they call a um, free store. It is a free grocery store uh, for the people who cannot afford food, um, even on government assistance. Um, I think that if you look at the statistics, we're talking about fifteen and twenty thousand dollars is the income for the average not person household in that community the biggest population are children and teens and so they feed these people then they opened up or they're in the process of buying more properties and having what they call hybrid grocery stores where you can pay if you have the ability to pay or you have the ability um, if you don't have the ability to pay you can just come in and take the food that you need they are also highly invested in affordable housing housing that is safe housing that is not um destructive but can create a home for families for young kids um, for single parents i just want to give you the contrasting view of an institutional church that doesn't set god-sized and jesus-oriented goals and a church who is apparently dying, who had the ability to set God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals. At this point, I'll return to the question, which of those congregations would you want to support? Which of those congregations would you want to serve in? Which of those congregations would give you life to be a part of? My prayer and my hope and 
I really do believe for many of us, we would start to switch. We would say, you know what? That beautiful building isn't nearly as important as the power of this ministry. That beautiful music, while we appreciate it, while we love it, isn't nearly as important as making a difference in the lives of people. I didn't get to list all of the ministries that are going on in that second church. But this is what I know. People who enter into ministry, people who become pastors, people who serve as elders or leaders of a local congregation do not do it because they just want a good institution. They do it because they find meaning in the power of the gospel and Jesus' healing and wholeness in the salvation that is offered. This is the choice that we get to make when we decide if we are going to set God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals or not. Okay, just to bring this to conclusion, I want to give you some exercises that you can do with your local leadership board as you wrestle through, do we really want to set God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals or not? And if so, how could we do it? So the, the first stage in all of this is really just to stop and to evaluate where you are. So I have four steps for you. I pray, I hope, and I believe that many of you will do them. So please take these seriously. Step number one, just gather that leadership team. Gather the men and the women in your church who make your church run, who make um, the ministry of your local congregation possible. And when you do that, start to create two lists. This would be step two and step three. Step two, let's look at the list of ministries that Jesus participates in. Another way to think about that is, can you create a time budget for how and where and what Jesus did? Think through the scriptures. You know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know them well. List where Jesus puts his energy. You might even want to make little side notes. This is a God-sized goal. Um, and it's a little hard to say it because it's Jesus, but it's a Jesus-oriented goal as well. Just look at those and identify how Jesus acts. And then, of course, the second part of that, or the third step in this case, would be to list how we spend our time as pastors, as elders, as staff members, as volunteers, and compare. Ask ourselves the question, does our ministry cycle look anything like Jesus? Are we following Jesus or are we not? And again, I understand that this can be a painful question. I understand that we only function within systems that have been handed to us over the generations. But we have a responsibility to act today with the knowledge that there is such a thing as a God-sized and a Jesus-oriented goal. And as we compare and contrast, and as we evaluate May you be gracious to yourself, but may you also have a very clear view of 
how we function and how Jesus functions. One final word that I want to share with you before I go, and that has to do with the trajectory of what I'm trying to do with our churches and with those who listen to me. I firmly believe that we have to clearly name our issues. This is one of our issues that we don't have goals. When I do that, I understand that that insults. I understand that that hurts hearts. I understand that in some cases that I'm questioning our identity because we have often functioned out of an old model of institutional church and not out of a Jesus model. I have great gentleness for you. There's two things that I want you to know. Number one, if there is an indictment, it's not on an individual or a church. The indictment is on the system as a whole. And so while we are part of a system, in some ways it's healthy, in some ways it is unhealthy, while we participate in this, please don't take this as a personal insult. And the second piece of that, if there's indictment, it's not just on the system, it's on me. And what I mean by that is this. I am technically what is called an overseer in the church. I am an elder. I do not have the power to say, do this or to do that. And people say, yes, sir, this is what we're going to do. Um, again, I'll just refer back to my title. I am called a general presbyter. That does not mean general presbyter, like you salute me. What that does mean is a general presbyter, that I do a lot of different things. I don't have the authority to dictate, but I do have the responsibility to name and to teach and to train and to raise issues. And so I try to do this with as much tenderness as I possibly can. And again, if there's an indictment, it's on the system and it's on me because I have yet to be able to teach this to a critical mass of churches or to a critical mass of elders or to a critical mass of pastors. I hold myself responsible for that. Um, these are the things that keep me up at night. These are the things that I pray through and haunt my prayers and in some cases haunt my dreams. And so while we walk this road, while we try to figure out a healthy pathway forward, and while we try to be more faithful to this day and age, while we try to live into this reformation that we are a part of, please know that I share all of this with love, I share this with grace, and I share it with hope. I firmly believe that if God has the power to defeat sin and death, that God has the ability to work through our broken egos as we are challenged. Okay, beloved, setting God-sized and Jesus-oriented goals is highly spiritual, is not too worldly, is not egotistical. Let us follow in the path of Jesus. Amen.